0: Man, God is good. This morning we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 5. How about that? I think. If you got a Bible, let's go ahead and get there. So for the past two weeks, <clears throat> we've kind of launched into this new series that we're doing called What I Believe. And as you may remember, if you've, if you've been here at all, basically here's the concept. What do we believe about this, the spiritual things in our life? What do we believe about the nature and character of God? I was talking to this this person, this guy who asked me, said somebody at work asking me, they said, "Shred." this person at work asked me what I believe about God. And I said, well, what, do you tell, what did you tell them? And they said, well, I didn't really know what to tell them. And they said, I knew what I believed, but I wasn't real sure how to articulate it. And I thought for, to myself a lot on that, that, that kind of process was, do we really know how to articulate what we believe? <clears throat> In fact, do most of us really know what we believe when it comes to the, the essentials of our Christian life? Do we know what we believe when it comes to the Bible, to sin, to grace, to redemption, to baptism, to communion, to to Satan and the reality of evil? Do we know what we believe when it comes to the idea of evangelism and mission and social justice? What do we believe about the essentials of the Christian faith? And so I thought we'd do over the the next 14 weeks or really 12 weeks from now as we'd explore that concept together, what I believe. Rediscovering the basics of Christian theology in the Christian life. And for the past two weeks, we've talked about these things. The first week, we talked about the Bible. We talked about the fact that it is the Word of God. We explored Paul's teaching on the Word. We talked about it being the Word of God, being very breathed by God. That to disbelieve it or disobey it was to disbelieve or disobey God. We talked about the fact that God calls it His own Word. Last week we talked about the the concept of sin and grace and redemption. I made a bold statement. If you remember, I said that the most important concept that we have to understand in the Bible is the concept of sin. Because if we don't have a right understanding of sin, we can't understand the nature and character of God, our relationships with other people, how we see the world, the person of Jesus Christ. We have no understanding of what God is doing through redemptive history until we understand sin. We talked about sin being anything that... In our nature, behavior, or action, or attitude that misses the perfection of God. We talked about the fact that everybody has it. The Bible says that everybody has it. And because of it, we're spiritually separated from God. We're dead. We talked about the idea of grace. That grace is God's undeserved favor and His unmerited love. That it's an outpouring of His extravagant love for us. And that you can do and never will do anything to deserve it. That grace... Is God's outpouring of love and we talked about redemption redemption is that idea of buying back or being delivered from And we look at that part in ephesians. that says that we are God's workmanship his work of art and that God has a plan for our life So where does that leave us? I mean, it really leaves us at the doorstep of one question And that is what do you believe about what it means to become a christian? Now for a lot of us, we bring a lot of baggage with this question. And not baggage, not all baggage is bad, we just bring a lot of baggage. For a lot of us, we have been raised in the church. We showed up when we were born, maybe we were baptized as an infant, maybe we grew up going to Sunday school, maybe here we are in our 40s, 50s, or 60s, and we're sitting here and church has always been a part of our life. For some of us, church has never been a part of our life, our parents Didn't go they weren't a part of it. They just wasn't into it And maybe now you're sitting here and you met christ in college or or something happened and you're here But you have your own ideas about the mainline church or about the catholic church or about the lutheran church or the baptist church We all bring our baggage when it comes to church into the question of what it means to become a christian The important thing that we've got to do if we're really going to talk about becoming a christian is We have to separate our baggage about church Away from the question of what it means to become a Christian. Because our baggage actually hinders our understanding of that question. Because the church is a flawed institution. There's no argument about that. I mean, we're sinful people that have made a mess of everything. Including church. So when we bring our baggage about church about relationships, about that pastor we hated or that they got caught doing this or the fact that we grew up in a church that um, maybe, you know, told us that everything we did was wrong and we were always going to hell. Whatever your baggage is, we have to separate that from the question of what it means to become a Christian. So today what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to isolate for a moment everything that you thought you knew. Everything that you thought you knew about salvation, everything you thought you knew about Church and how that influenced you and where you are and maybe how mad you are at God or how mad you were at God or how happy you are with God, and just separate it for a moment and let's let this one question stand alone. What do you believe about what it means to become a Christian? Not <clears throat> what do you mil- what do you think it means to be to live as a Christian or to be a Christian, but to become because how we understand the Bible, how we understand sin grace, and redemption actually, Makes this question one that matters What does it mean to become a christian to be a follower of jesus christ? Because we on some level have perverted that question with what it means to go to church The reality is is that they're totally different things You can go to church every day of your entire life and never be a christian Just the truth We have to separate those two things so keep this question in your mind What do I believe about what it means to become a Christian? Somebody at work tapped on the shoulder and said, Hey, Dave, here's the deal. I think I want to become a Christian. What do I do? What is your answer to that person? Well, come to church with me. Or how do we respond? Some of us may have a very simplified plan. Those of you who went to Africa probably pull out a track and go, Well, ignore the African part, and I'm going to focus you on the English part. Um, but it's a systematic plan. But how do we really articulate, it and what does it really mean? The book of uh, Luke actually has a really cool picture of this in chapter five, and and you've actually probably heard me talk about it before um, because I just tend to do that sometimes. But my thing is is that I really just don't think you hear God's word too much. So if you're like heard it, then hear it again. All right. So uh, Luke chapter five, we're going to dive in it together. Um, it's Jesus actually calling the first disciples. And it's, it's in his invitation, God's invitation to us. And then we're going to break it down and talk about what that question really means. So let's take a moment together and pray. God, we pray <clears throat> that um, you would just bless our time, that you would bless our, our seeking you, that you would open our hearts to the truth of your word, that you would penetrate it. Father, you tell us that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword that it penetrates, dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. God, we pray this morning that we would be cut to the core by your truth. Take just a moment and just ask God to move in your heart to reveal something powerful about who he is to you today. Pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you. Just pray that God would move in their life. Lord, we ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so before we dive into this, i got to have you understand one concept, and that's this. There is a difference in believing Jesus and believing in Jesus. Okay? In order to understand salvation and what it means to become a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to understand there's a difference in believing Jesus and believing in Jesus. You can know all the facts about salvation. You can even quote scripture. You can show me where it is and you can understand and believe all there is to believe about Jesus that his words being factual and true and never actually know him. There's a difference in that idea and believing in Jesus. The believing in Jesus means a personal trust. <clears throat> Two examples I want to lift up to you. You've got to bear with me. <clears throat> My voice is bad today. I'm about 60%, but I play hurt, just kind of how we do. Um, play like a champion today. Um, <clears throat> but here you've got to understand this. John 3.16 says this, that for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him has eternal life. Notice that word, in, requires a more than just understanding facts about Jesus, but believes in Him. There's a personal trust in there. John 17.3 says this, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. whom you've said that they may know you. Pay attention to those words. Believe in jesus know god and his son there's a relationship element of trust that goes in you know they say that the longest 12 inches in your whole life that you'll ever go is the 12 inches between your head and your heart the truth is we can know and believe jesus and never believe in him we're going to come back to the idea of trust. But just hang on to that thought, because I want you to keep that in mind as we explore this text. There's a difference in believing Jesus and believing in Jesus. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is God's Word. <clears throat> one day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee, by the way, with people crowding around him, listening to the Word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, Jesus did a lot of teaching in public, and he always taught in places where it was, where a large crowd of people could gather. Because anytime Jesus went anywhere, people followed in multitudes. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people, even thousands of people would gather. We see that all through the New Testament. Jesus would show up, and people would gather in huge numbers. So we've got this picture of Jesus teaching down by the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee actually made a, a, a natural amphitheater. The, the, the water dropped real low and it came up on the side so people could sit on the hillside. And it says that Jesus went down by the water's edge where he could teach and his voice would carry. And so you often see him teaching at, at the Sea of Galilee or on the side of a mountain. Because it just made for the ability to speak to a larger number <clears throat> of people. So it says that he's teaching at the water's edge and he sees Two boats sitting on the side of the road or on the side of the, the uh, lake right there He got into one of the boats the one belonged to Simon and They asked him to put out a little bit from shore And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat So Jesus goes over and he stands in the middle of this guy's boat And he tells him to go put off a little bit from shore so he steps in the middle of a fisherman's boat, and asks him to go put off from shore. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, <clears throat> put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. <clears throat> so Simon, also known as Peter, was a fisherman. This is what he did by trade. In fact, he was very successful. He actually had his own boat. Most fishermen didn't have their own boats, couldn't afford them or make them. But Simon was very successful. He had his own boat and he had some guys that worked for him and he had a partner boat. And both those boats were right there on the side of the shore because you didn't fish during the day. It was too hot. I mean, this is, you know, the Middle East. You fished at night. So they'd go out at night and they'd fish because the water was cooler. Because during the day, the water that was shallowest would get the hottest. Those of you that are anglers know that you have to go out and find a little bit deeper water. So they'd fish at night. So they pulled their ne- their boats up and they stretched their nets out to dry because the salt water would wreak havoc on your nets. So they stretch them out on the shore to dry during the day and they'd rest and they'd go back out and fish at night. So imagine you're, you're, <clears throat> you're Peter and you're stretching your nets out on the side of the shore and this guy who shows up down the way a little bit with A thousand plus people sitting on the side of this hill walks down to where your boat is and he just sort of steps inside of it and stands there. Now, if you're captain of a boat, right, you don't just let some other dude stand in your boat. I mean, it's kind of like pulling up to the stop sign at 50th and and Western and someone's like, hey, and they just sit in your front seat and like, we're going for a ride. You're like, this is my car. You don't just get to get in here and I'm not going to let you drive. I mean... Peter's boat's there. Jesus steps in the middle of it. He looks at him and he says, hey, we're going fishing. Well, it's one thing to step in my boat. It's the other thing to tell me that we're going fishing. If there's anything I know about, it's fishing. The last thing I wanted to do was to go fishing again. We didn't catch anything. But he looks at him and he says, all right, we'll put out in deep a little bit, a little bit of water. So as so they put out in the water... And Jesus says, let down your nets for the catch. So he had taught the people when he was done teaching. Peter had nowhere to go, sitting there listening to Jesus. Done teaching. Jesus says, let's down the nets for a catch. And what does he do? Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. Lord, I'm actually a sinful man. When he and all of his companions were astonished at the number of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And Jesus said, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Mark actually tells a much shorter version of the story. He says that, that as Jesus is walking by the seashore, he sees these guys and he says, Hey, drop your nets, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So he says, Once I dropped everything and followed him. This is an incredible thing that's happening here. Because here we have Peter, who's got a trade, who has a life, who's a fisherman. And here we have Jesus, who's a traveling teacher, who we don't know if Peter's ever even heard of or spent time with or knows from before. But he comes in and tells Peter to put out in water and and, and fish. And they catch so many fish that their nets begin to break. Peter falls on his face before Jesus, begins to worship him. Jesus says, follow me. They leave everything and they follow him. As I started thinking about this invitation of God, I realized that, that the invitation that God gives Peter is the same invitation that He gives you and I. That God's call to a personal trust and surrender and salvation is actually the same call He gives to Peter. It always begins with God. It is God's invitation to us. That God invites us or calls us to follow Him. What that means is that at the end of our day, we don't somehow discover and land on the idea that now I'm going to follow Jesus on my terms. The invitation of God is is His invitation. To leave an old way of life, an old identity behind, and follow Him. And so as I started thinking about this invitation, two real questions jumped to my mind. First, when, when I'm thinking about Peter, but really more so for myself. And maybe for you. And the first one is this. Who or what is in control of your life? I mean, for Peter, he had a way of life. He was a fisherman. It was a pretty good career. He had his own boat. He obviously knew what he was doing. He had a partner boat. They caught fish. They had a life. We know that Peter had a family. We know that from Scripture. Peter was somewhat in control of his own life, or so it seemed until that day that Jesus stepped in the middle of his boat, in the middle of his world, in the middle of all he understood. What's in control of your life? Is it you? Is it something else? Maybe you're here this morning under the illusion of the fact that you are somehow controlling your own life or destiny. Or maybe your life this morning feels absolutely out of control. Maybe you have no idea where you're going to be tomorrow, or if you're going to have a job, or if your wife's still going to be there. Maybe your life's out of control. Or maybe you're just sort of feigning this picture of control like you want everyone else to think it's under control. But internally, from the inside out, it's a lie and you know it. And while you paint these pictures for the world to see, you know that you are desperately at a loss for what to do. Empty, with holes, out of control. I think Peter falls into a lot of those categories, but but mainly Peter falls into the category of he was running his own life. Life was on his terms. He was fishing, and fishing seemed fine. But Jesus has a way of showing up in the middle of our lives and messing everything up. When it comes to following Christ, we have to understand this that we've got to let go of the control of our lives to decide that we no longer are going to pretend that we have it together and that we can control it. And instead be like Peter and just say, fine, even though I know on paper we should not go fishing, we're going fishing. The question I really had to deal with first and foremost when I thought about following Christ, when I really heard that call was, am I willing to surrender control of my life? And for most of us, it's a yes, but. I'm not letting total control of my finances. Or I'm not letting total control of this one struggle or this one thing. But the reality of the call of God is that He requires it all. Who or what is in control of your life? The second question we've got to deal with is this one, which is what would it take for you to turn loose? Now notice this. When Jesus says, come and follow me, what do the disciples do? Or what does Peter do when the other guys follow? They leave everything, boats and nets, and they follow Jesus. But you've got to understand, fishing was not just an occupation, it was an identity. Peter was known as a fisherman. You were known by what you did. To walk away from fishing was to walk away from your identity, your livelihood, and who you were. And you may have heard me say this before, that these fishing nets weighed 200 plus pounds. Peter couldn't drag these nets behind him and follow Jesus. Jesus says, come with me. And Peter says, okay, gathering up all his baggage and nets, saying in case this thing with Jesus doesn't work out, I've got all my stuff with me. He couldn't follow Jesus and remain a fisherman. He couldn't follow Jesus and drag 200 pounds of nets. Which is exactly what you and I try and do. We try and say, yes, God, I know about you. I want to believe in you. But on my terms, and my terms mean that I get to keep this. I get to keep this. Because I'm scared to death of living without it. Even though I know it's killing me. So we grab our nets and we try our best to walk behind Jesus for a day or two days, whatever, months or a year. And next thing we know, we don't know how we got here, but we're the exact same place we were. Because of a word I mentioned earlier before we ever started, which is trust. Who or what is in control of your life and are you willing to let go of all of that? Peter dropped it, left it, and followed Jesus. And I would love to tell you that Peter's life was easy. I would love to say that from that moment on, I mean money rained from heaven and they paraded him around town in a chariot. It just flat out didn't happen. Life got harder. Peter would ultimately die for this God that he believed in. We know he even denied him. We know that he failed. We know that Peter had a... Well, Peter was an overly passionate kind of person, much like you and I. Becoming a Christian at some point in time means that we need to deal with these two questions. Who or what is in control of our life? And are we willing to turn loose, to let go, to surrender? Because when we come face to face with that question, it requires two things. It requires repentance and faith. Trust. True trust. Saving trust in Jesus Christ requires two things. Repentance and faith. Repentance is simply the idea that we are turning away from our sin Last week we talked about sin being anything in our attitudes action or behavior that misses god's mark of perfection Everybody's got it and because of it. We're spiritually separated from god repentance means turning away from that sin Not just simply confessing it and saying I have blown it but saying god i'm making a drastic turn From that way of life And faith means believing that Jesus can save you from that sin. That you can't save yourself, but that Christ can save you. That's all that faith really means. A lot of times we think faith means I've got to be able to trust that if God wanted to move this mountain and rip it out of the sea and put it over there, yeah, it's a part of what it means to trust God. Maybe on some level that word is faith, but a simple idea of faith is this, is that I believe, God, you can save me. You can't have faith that God will rip a mountain out of the earth until you can believe that he can save you. Most of us come face to face with these questions and we just don't want to deal with them. And it's why we can believe Jesus and never really believe in him. Because we don't want to deal with the reality of what it means to say, I'm turning away from that life and I believe that you can save me. So we play a lot of games with God. We show up at church. We say a lot of the right things. But inside we know that we have never surrendered our life fully to Jesus Christ. That we have run and run and run. But what does Peter do? He drops his nets and he says, I'm all in. The reality of becoming a Christian is that it's an all in kind of move. It's a turning loose of... All those things I desperately want to hold on to and believing that Jesus can save me. That's why the words of that song we talked about earlier were so powerful. Do I believe that God is mighty to save me? That I can't save myself. And sadly, I believe that our churches are filled with people that believe Jesus but have never put a trust in Him. That have never said, I believe in you. That are willing to pay Kind of lip service to the fact that Jesus is probably God's son and I'm okay with that, but I'm not putting my personal trust in him. I just can't. And sadly enough, the church doesn't talk about it. Because that might mean people get offended and leave. But the Bible doesn't lie, it's true. And we've got to deal with the questions. And so really the question on our plate this morning is the things that we've talked about, the truth about scripture, the truth about sin and grace and redemption, come to a literally a crashing place with this idea of trust. Do I really trust you with my life? God, do I believe that you are big enough to save me through Jesus Christ? Am I tired of running? And am I willing to let go? We got to deal with those questions. And maybe this morning you're sitting here and it's the first time you've ever really come face to face with that reality. That you've heard me talk about the truth of the fact that we've all got sin, that Jesus Christ died on the cross is the only answer, and that if we trust and believe in him, we can have eternal life, and abundant life here on earth. That's the gospel. But you've never come face to face with the actual question that says, am I willing to let go, to trust? You've gone to church all your life and never given your life to Jesus Christ. There's nothing to be ashamed of because we have that moment today. And so as you sit here, I want you to wrestle with this question. God, have I ever really given my life to you, surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, placed a personal trust in him to become my Lord and Savior? So right where you are, as we get ready to kind of close our time and worship, I just want you to close your eyes right where you're sitting and just let everything else go away. And just deal with the Lord. Just you and God, even if you think this is crazy and weird, just indulge me. And close your eyes right where you are. And think about this question. Have I ever really placed my trust in Jesus Christ? Turned from my sin and trusted Jesus to save me.